1: Mailbag time, folks! If you guys want to get to the front of the line, you don't want to waste your place. Make sure you send a super chat as well. You will kind of get pushed up in the front of the line. But we are going to get into some of these mailbag questions. Thank you all for listening. Love the conversation in the chat. By the way, you guys weren't messing with me too much during the first couple of sections of this podcast, which was great. That means I could keep my train of thought, and people didn't were talking about my AST and stuff the whole time. Okay, so I love y'all. Love y'all very much. All right, let's get to some of these mailbag questions. All right. So we had, and we'll start this out because we did have a conversation about CJ May to begin this podcast. Pete Weber said, what's the behind the scenes story on CJ May and with the whole deuce night Instagram live, was that more supporting a buddy or was part of that a a little telling for what it's worth? I don't think it's a big deal. Pete, we don't think it's a big deal either. Uh, Pete, I think you're on the message board. Are you not? If you, if you aren't, man, you should go there because we talked, we talked a lot about, The uh, the situation this morning a little bit. So I know for people that aren't. Aren't aware of this Instagram thing. Basically CJ may I think went on a live last night. With deuce Knight to kind of talk about the whole situation of his decommitment. I think CJ and I'm paraphrasing because I actually haven't seen the live. I'm just going by what people were talking about. And basically what they were saying is. That CJ was talking about. Notre Dame wasn't upfront with him about you know if you want to take visits you know it's it's a big deal and 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 that type of thing i i i and i I don't know what the conversations have been with c j between those things. All I know is that Notre Dame has been pretty forthcoming about the visit thing, right like we don't want you to take a ton of visits after your commitment committed, we don't want you to take official visits after you're committed, we want you to be done with the process, and that's kind of an understood thing so i I'm not calling cj a liar i'm definitely not doing that because there might have just been some miscommunication there i mean things happen right but Notre Dame has been very honest with guys about that i mean i mean like he has they have been very honest so i find it kind of hard to believe that they just weren't honest with cj about it i i, I don't know that one's just very strange the deuce night thing pete again like i would have to talk to, to deuce but but i think it's more of just supporting a friend that's kind of how I took it, man. That's, that's, that's how I take it based upon what people were saying on the, you know, what, what he was saying on the Instagram and just kind of like, you know, just let him talk it out and that type of thing. So either way, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, if you want kind of the, the backstory to CJ, I mean, look, it's, it's not a massive backstory, Pete, you know, he wanted to take visits. Notre Dame wants to make sure that the, the numbers worked on defensive line in general. I just think when things kind of piled up altogether it was kind of a decision that needed to be made, you know, and, and whether it was right or wrong, like that's just kind of the conclusion that you went to that they came to in the end. So I ultimately don't think the Instagram live thing is going to be a big deal. I don't, we'll see if, if it spurs, you know, actually I don't don't even want to speak that in the universe. I I changed what I was going to say there because I don't want people to jump to assumptions or anything, but yeah, I, I don't think it was a big deal though. To answer your question. I don't think it was either. Let's go to Quinn Kibler says, can you touch on the physical demands of playing defensive line? Why is it so important that in that position more than any have fresh guys shout out to the 2018 team? Yeah, Quinn, absolutely, man. Offensive line is, is similar ish in this sense, in the sense of it is such a physically demanding position, man. Everyone just wants to talk about pass rushers, right? And they want to talk about, you know, working the outside track and getting sacks and, You know, that's kind of the glorified part of playing like a defensive end position in general. But man, you have, I mean, guys, if you want to watch just an absolute battle within a, within a war, go watch. Just don't, don't watch the skill positions. Don't watch where the ball's going. Just watch where the action that's happening up front between the offensive line and defensive line. It is not as simple as attacking space and working outside track. Like it is. You have to work at the point of attack. You got to work against double teams. You have to fight pullers. You have to, you know, finish at the quarterback. You got to tackle strong runners. I mean, like, there's so much physically demanding things to playing defensive line. And it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. Like we talking about the nose tackle position with like Davion Dixon, man, God bless those dudes, him, Sean Civilanos of the world. Because th- that is a position that is daunting. You're probably going to get probably get a couple tackles a game, maybe a tackle for loss occasionally, but you are doing the dirty work, man. You're working against multiple blockers, fighting, scratching, and clawing and bleeding. And like it, it is not it is not a good thing. And ultimately, you have to be a bigger size to play on the defensive line. I just talked about Sean Sevlinos with 339 pounds. You talk about David Dixon with 305 pounds. Those guys all-out effort of fighting through blocks, working to the perimeter, motors running hot from, from start of the play to the end of the whistle. It's not easy, man. Durability can be a tough thing. Being able to be in that type of physical conditioning is not easy. So depth on the defense line is huge. Massive. Really is, man. And I think that, honestly, national champs in recent years, they can kind of back that up. You know, like they really can. Why was Georgia so good for those couple of years? Why was Alabama so good during the best parts of Nick Saban's tenure? Why didn't Michigan just win a national championship? Because they throw waves at you, man. Throw waves at you. Because we know that Mason Graham from Michigan is going to be better on 40 to 50 reps than he is on 70. He'll be fresher. Be able to throw in waves. But Georgia, I always come back to this one. Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. Hey, guys, go take a breather. Here comes Jalen Carter and Nasir Stackhouse and Warren Brinson and those cats, man. Like it is throwing waves like that is just that's how you keep guys fresh. That's how you keep them productive. It is not an easy position to play. Michigan last year, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant. They get a lot of the headlines. Well, you know what? They also had Braden McGregor outside. They also had Chris Jenkins inside a defensive line. They had Jalen Harrell. They had Josiah Stewart. They have a lot of bodies on the defensive line, man. I I I honestly I don't think that when you look at the best football teams, it shouldn't be a surprise. If that's the fact. They got waves of dudes, man. Waves of dudes. And if we look we like data collection here, right? Well, there's pretty good data that the last few years, if you have a deep defensive line, you're probably gonna be pretty dang good. <laughs> you you just are. Michigan's proved that last year. Georgia proved that Alabama. I mean, there was a time where Alabama, like Quinn and Williams, was a backup for two years at Alabama because it's just like they had guys. You know, they've had dudes like Deron Payne and Quinn and Williams and and some uh, forty nine from a couple of years ago that went in the second round. Its name's escaping me. Like they have guys every single year. Even now, they still have guys, Jaheim Otis and the and the uh, boy gay kid that was just at at the, at, um, the Senior Bowl down in Mobile. They throw waves at you. They throw waves and waves and waves because it is a demanding position, man. It's hard. It's not easy. And Notre Dame needs to get to that level because I would say, like, they're getting closer, getting closer because last year you had Riley Mills, you had Howard Cross, who both played really well, especially Howard. And then you could take him off, and when Gabriel Rubio was healthy, he was a good player. When you gave Jason, Jason Onye opportunities, made some plays. Uh, Donovan Heinish made some plays. Like, you're starting to get to that level but it still needs to keep working, man. You need to get more impact big bodies in there because that's the secret sauce. That is the way you win football games. Those waves on the defensive line, that's where it comes from, man. That's where you get big-time football players. Quinn, great question, though. You always bring great questions to the show. shouldn't be much of a surprise. Thank you, sir. We had Lucky Ducks 512 said, With Jadon Blair setting visits to South Carolina, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Penn State this summer, Who is the biggest threat to Notre Dame out of those three schools? Great question. I would say right now Penn State is the biggest threat to Jadon Blair. I would say for me, Notre Dame is a top two school against Penn State today for Jadon Blair. Can Michigan gain momentum? Possibly. Can South Carolina gain momentum? Is there another school that maybe could come in and gain momentum? Sure. But as of today, I would say it's a Notre Dame-Penn State battle, which is very interesting for a North Carolina kid, for people that for people that don't that don't follow um recruiting too much, we're talking about a Mount Tabor kid in the state of North Carolina. We're talking about a big time six foot four, 180-pound athletes, top 30 player by one platform. Jadon Blair is a stud. He's been on this, he's been on this podcast before, too, man. Super impressive kid. Notre Dame, Penn State, two highest schools right now for Jadon Blair. That is the biggest threat for me. Penn State's. That is the biggest threat. All right, let's go to the next one. Great question, Lucky Ducks. Really appreciate y'all. We had 99 props became one IB, knew about the possibilities for a while. Did any of the recruits or did the surprise them, most importantly, did you catch someone like Deuce off guard? I don't think they caught Deuce off guard for sure. I, I would say that. I'm, I'm very certain that Deuce had some insight into that probably both from the staff and from CJ ahead of time. Cause this was something that was kind of, it was expected for a little, little while. How much everyone knew about it. I'm not hundred percent sure to be honest with you, 99 problems. I, I, I would assume that it made its rounds and then people figured it, found out about it. But I am, for, I am very confident in saying that I I think that Deuce had a, a heads up on that situation happening. I, I think that that is pretty safe to say. We had sloppy Joe with the question with CJ, no longer a part of the class. CJ may is already targeting someone new who hasn't previously been on the board or attempting to flip someone. They're not flipping anybody's uh, sloppy Joe. I think this one probably came in before I started talking a lot about Damian Shanklin out of Warren central and in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's their guy. That's the guy that they want very much. After that, I'm interested to see if they can make numbers work for one more defensive lineman. Like I know Javion Campbell's a guy out of Kentucky that, Uh, Notre Dame has been inquiring about and been developing a conversation with, I mean, a relationship with pretty recently. So I'm interested to see if anything comes of that relationship, but regardless, I think that Damian Shanklin is, is the guy to answer your question. He's the guy. Is there any room after that? We will, we will see if there is any more. Great question though. And if anybody has any more questions, throw them in. I still have like twenty-something questions, so we're not ending anytime soon. But just a reiteration that you know you can throw mailbag questions any time. Nb before it, mailbag before it would be very much appreciated to help me on a solo show. Figure out what is a question and what is just general conversation for y'all in the chat. Pete Weber with a question. Heard a lot that there were some things popping up on CJ's tape. CJ May lack of burst, not an elite pass rusher. Seemed to phone it um, on plays. Phone it in on plays. Was the CJ is decommitting on his own. Or more asked by Marcus Freeman. So Pete it was more of a. It was more of a Notre Dame decision. I'm not necessarily willing to sit here. And say that it was purely a film based decision. To drop CJ. Is there some things. That were a part of his film. That maybe made it an easier. Decision to make. Sure. Like I think that you can say that. I don't necessarily agree with that though. If that was a big part of the conversation, I think that CJ is a very good athlete. Is he the most first step explosive guy on the board? No, he's not Damian Shanklin, for instance, like he doesn't cover as much ground as like Damian Shanklin does, but I think his first step is sufficient. I think he has a really good frame. I think that he plays in a good level of competition at Highland home and he produces. I, lo- I really like CJ May. It's not going to change, man. Whether he comes up at Auburn or Ole Miss or, Anywhere else, I'm still going to be a fan of CJ May. So I, I think that Newer Dame had to unfortunately move on from a really good football player. And maybe they don't quite see him as, as high as I do, but I, I, I was a fan of CJ May as a player. I was. All right, let's get to another one here. From Irish Blooded, just ask. Not trying to make it. S- if so, but once someone de- decommits like May did, is there any realistic avenue that he can recommit, or is it just this what it is now? It's a great question, Irish Blooded. Sometimes there's a couple different ways this goes. Sometimes when a decommitment happens, it depends on what who what side m- spurned the decision, right, or or spurred the decision. Wh- who who wanted th- this to happen ultimately? If it's a player decommitting because maybe they made a little bit of of a rush decision. There are definitely some times where Notre Dame will keep recruiting them. You know, we'll, we'll keep keeping that conversation open. But every situation is different. In this one, this is more of a Notre Dame decision. So I don't envision Notre Dame continuing to recruit CJ May in any way. Are there some recruits in the past that have decommitted that Notre Dame still stayed on? Yes, absolutely. Are there some recruits that maybe? They abruptly decommitted and Notre Dame was kind of just like, all right, man, like uh, kind of took them off guard. And they're just like, okay, that was, you know, a different person than we thought we were getting in th- that particular player. Sure. So it really depends on, on why the decommitment happened and the circumstances behind that relationship is a big thing. So sometimes, yes, they continue recruiting. Sometimes they do not. It really is a case by case recruit by recruit situation. That depends. All right. We had Bobby S said, "Have you seen the secondary class Ohio State is putting together? Absolutely insane. Two five-star corners and now just got a cornerback from a uh a C- uh, Crystal Ball from a five-star safety." Yeah, I mean, yeah, the cornerback group is off to a great start, man, especially Bobby. I mean, they are off to a really good start in the secondary. I mean, they got Devin Sanchez and they've just got Naheem Alford, who's a really talented corner in the class. It's never been a. It's never been a thing about Ohio State not recruiting well, though, right? I mean, no, Ohio State is always going to have talents. The only question was, well, the main question is, is the coaching going to be good enough to take them to the next level? Because Ohio State had no issues of talent this year. They didn't have talent the last couple years, but they are recruiting at a high level. There's no doubt. And secondary recruiting is going to be very good. It's going to be very good. So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I think that they're, I think that they're doing a great job. Always. Always. With recruiting. All right. One, cert, one certainty about Ohio State is that there's always going to be talent on the field. There's never going to be a doubt about that. And adding Offord, adding Sanchez, great start to the secondary recruiting in 2025. There's no doubt about that. Big time. Big time stuff. All right. Oh, speaking of uh, Ryan Day, Ohio State, Pete Weber, in your opinion, how hot is Ryan Day's seat this season? It feels very much like this year needs to have massive improvement or it might be over for him. That is a great question. And one, honestly, that I do not have an answer for Pete. I Look, Ryan Day's record at Ohio State is very good. It's fantastic. It's like 56 and eight or something like that. It's, it's a really good record. But I think that that's where context comes in with these types of just blanket numbers and blanket records. He has lost the pulse of the Ohio state, Michigan rivalry the last three years. Michigan runs it right now. They run it. Could he reverse it this year? Eh, Tell wise Sure. I mean, it's possible. Michigan should in theory be a little bit down compared to what they've been the last couple of years. Ohio state should be better in theory. So can they get it turned around? It's possible. But regardless, Ohio State, like like Notre Dame, like Alabama, like some of the big-time programs in college football, you are judged by your impact in the biggest games. And the last couple years, they've not been doing that. They haven't been doing it. They haven't been able to haven't been able to get over that hump under Ryan day, right. Or uh, over that hump, excuse me. I been able to get over that hump with Ryan day. So I think that it's a big year for Ryan day. I'm not willing to say that he's on the hot seat. I'm not even saying he's on the warm seat, but if he goes through this year and underperforms compared to, 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 if he, if he underperforms compared to his expectations and he loses to Michigan again, Then shouldn't it get starting a little hot? I mean, shouldn't it start getting a little bit of warm? I don't know the answer to that 100%. I do think that it's starting a little bit warm. I'm not ready to say that he should be out after this year or he's going to get fired if he loses to Michigan again, but you have to start having like those conversations like, hey man, like, what's, what's, what's the deal here? Because Ohio State was more talented than Michigan this year, just on a player to player basis. Michigan was stronger in certain areas, obviously, but. They were more talented. They're more talented the year before as well. I mean, but it's just, you have to get over the hump, man. You have to be able to, to dominate that rivalry that Ohio state had been dominating for a long time, previous to Ryan day. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if he'll get fired. I don't know if it'll be a hot seat situation. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, but ultimately it will definitely have to make you start thinking. Because Ohio State's going all in on this year, man. It was not, and and I, I don't want to. And I I see the, the cheating thing again in the chat, guys. Do we think that Michigan was cheating this year during their game after they're under the microscope? Are, are are we saying that? Let's be honest, man. Let's be honest with ourselves. Michigan has dominated Ohio State for the better part of the last three years in their games because they were more physically imposing than Ohio State. I, I don't want to hear about that sign stealing stuff anymore. Don't want to hear about it. Because Michigan was under the, the scrutiny and under the microscope, the duration of this past year, and they won a national championship. Can we stop with the, 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 the sign-stealing thing for a minute? Okay? Can we stop with it? They already had their signs. Okay, well, change your damn signs. Change your signs. If you knew that it was happening, then change your signs. Oh, gosh. I, I hate Michigan. I hate Michigan more than anyone in this chat. Or as much as anybody in this chat. But let's be realistic with ourselves. Ryan Day isn't getting it done in the biggest moments. That's where we are. That's where we are. Sorry. You need to beat Michigan. You need to beat them. You beat them this year. You dominate them. And then maybe you go in the playoffs and you win a game or two. And, and maybe you win a championship. Then fine. Then you're good. But I have no confidence that Ryan Day do that. I, I have no confidence in him doing that. So we'll see if he can change it. But I don't want to hear about the cheating thing anymore, man. Because you know what? This is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. Michigan is a much less talented team than Ohio State going into this year. Much less talented. But Jonah, but Jonah what does that have to do with the game against Michigan and Ohio State this year? The momentum thing. What, that, that doesn't matter in that one off football game. It doesn't matter. <sighs> uh, you know, Ohio State has a chance to show that they can return to dominance this year against Michigan. Because Michigan is going to be a much more inexperienced team. They're not going to be as talented as they were last year. Ohio State should be a better football team than they were the year before. It's up to them to prove it. Them to prove it. I hope Ohio State wins. I hate Michigan. I hope they win. I do. I hope they win. But I'm not certain of that. I think there's a mental block against Michigan right now, to be honest. There wasn't a talent issue last year. It wasn't a talent issue the year before. It wasn't a talent issue. It's a mental block issue, man. of times it goes to those games, they just look like they are physically not ready for Michigan. Like they dominate them. We'll see. I think it's a mental block. I don't think it's a talent issue. I don't think it's a talent discrepancy. Maybe you have the coaching advantage now, I guess. Maybe. I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not selling Ryan Day. It's a big year for Ryan Day. We'll see. Y'all got me fired up, man. Because we're allowed to talk about Michigan. With hatred in our heart and still be realistic with our analysis, right? Like we're allowed to do that. I'm allowed to do it. Beef feeder NDO eight. Thank you for the question. Would Notre Dame ever take someone who has decommitted to Notre Dame and hit the portal a few years after they had decommit? Possible. I mean, I I mean people people evolve, right? Relationships evolve. Players grow up. I mean, yeah, I think that they would. Why not? I I think it's, again, it's a case by case situation where people have asked about like Peyton Bowen, right? Like if Peyton Bowen ever entered the portal, would Notre Dame look at him? Maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, it depends if there's been growth and there's the things that prevented them from being a good fit previous. If it's different now. So I, I think it's possible. I do think it's possible. Bobby. Yes. Another question. Thank you. Be fair. It was a really good question, man. Appreciate you. I'm gonna work through a few of these together uh, quicker Cause you all got me fired up about the Michigan, Ohio state rivalry oh, on a Notre Dame channel of nothing else. Bobby S even with Damian Shanklin, I think the 2023 and 2024 class has higher upside thoughts. That's a great question. It's a great question. I would say, and including Dominic Kulak in this conversation, right? Just for argument's sake, we'll include him as a defensive lineman in 2025. I think that as a whole, 2025 has a higher upside than 2024. Oh man, 2023 turned 2025 is a tough one. That's, that's actually interesting because I mean, you had Armel Mukum, you had Bubakar Traore, you had Brandon Vernon, you had Devin Houston. All those guys have pretty good upside. I mean, Devin Houston probably is the least upside of the four, but like he still has upside that he brings to the table as well. I would say if I had to rank them by upside, I would say 2023 and one, 2025 two, twenty 2024 three and that's no fall of 2024 because i i think that a couple of those guys namely bryce young have high upside like super high upside but when i looked at christopher burgess and damian shanklin if you're looking at damian shanklin like that's two right like that's two of them instead of just one right so it's the numbers a little bit i really like logan thomas but i don't know if i would quite say his upside is as high as either Burgess or Shanklin. Like I think those guys just have a little bit of a different level of upside there. So I would probably go 2023, 2025, 2024 in that order for me. That's, that's where I would go. It's a great question, Bobby. That's a really good one. I also would like to do a show about that. That's, um, that's a really, really interesting one. Oh man. Oh man. You guys are funny in the chat, by the way. You guys are hilarious. In the best way. And that's not a sarcastic, like, oh, you guys are hilarious. Let me roll my eyes. Like, you, you actually are funny. You make me laugh. 99 problems with BK1. Is there risk to recruiting edge guys and banking on them developing as interior players, i.e. Brennan Vernon? Could the risk be a bunch of tweeners, i.e. Tyson Ford over the years? I see the upside. But it's a great question. Great question. I think you need to balance it, 99. I am okay with looking at some big ends and thinking to myself, projecting wise, when you talk strength, conditioning coach, and upside that he could develop into an interior defense lineman, I am good with that. But you need to balance that out with having true interior players as well. This can't be a one-off thing. It can't be a one-way or the highway. Like you, you can do both and have a really good interior defensive line room. In the case of 2023, I think it's going to work out great because even if Brendan Vernon doesn't work out inside. You already have Armel and Devin who are interior players in that class. So you can afford to take that gamble a little bit, but I think that you need to balance it. Well, I don't think you can go all in with let's get a bunch of Brendan Vernon's in a class and one and two of them will end up being interior. Like you don't know that, right? Like growth patterns are different guys develop differently, but I'm okay with getting a, I'm okay with, let, let me think of a better situation. Uh, so I'm actually okay because I I would let you guys know I'm not the biggest Joseph Reef fan as far as as a football player, but I'm okay with what they've done in the 2025 class as far as they have one true interior defensive lineman and Davion Dixon. You know, that's where he's playing and you took a gamble of a guy that might have developmental upside the fitting inside. I'm okay with that. I'm just not a huge Joseph Reef guy. (laughs) It's the problem. If Joseph Reef was Riley Mills coming out of high school, right? I, I remember watching Riley and I was like, that guy has a lot of talent. If you had a, let's say it's a Riley Mills and then a Davian Dixon type where you're like, one guy's a true interior player. One guy's a strong side defensive end. That might be an interior player. I'm okay with taking the gamble there because I think that you have balanced that class pretty well. So just uh, yeah, my, my, my opinion on that one, my opinion. If Archer four, five, two, what's up, Archer? What's up, man? How are you? Auburn is focusing on Devin Williams as their top cornerback target. Is Notre Dame still prioritizing him? And if so, who do you think is the biggest competition? Um, I mean, one smart of Auburn. <laughs> I think Devin Williams out of Buford in the 2025 class, Buford, Georgia is a very, very good football player. So and he's kind of he's got Auburn's type. They've kind of gone for like the lightly built corners over recent years, like the DJ James, Nehemiah Pritchett mold. They've gotten those guys. So I, I don't blame it at all. Notre Dame is still very much in the mix. I think they'll have a chance. They need to remain patient for him because he's a uh, after. Official visits before senior year guys. So he's not going to pop anytime soon more than likely. But I think Notre Dame is in the conversation for sure, Archer. I think that he, they, he wants to come back to Notre Dame. He's scheduling a visit for during, uh, during spring practice, which I think will be huge getting back on campus. I would say Auburn would be one. Georgia would be another. Uh, a couple of the SEC schools are the schools that I think have uh, Devin's attention as well. So Notre Dame will be in the conversation, though. It's just about being patient with that one. But very smart of Auburn to make Devin Williams a priority because he is uh pretty dang good, man. He's pretty, pretty dang good. Next one. We I mean, beef eater with a hot take. I love hot takes. Beef Eater, NDO8. Hot take this year. Jalen Steen and Joshua Burnham are going to be like Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green, R.I.P. on the Steelers. Amen. If it happens, I I I will welcome it. Uh for people that don't remember. I used love Kevin Green by the way. I'm a Rams fan. I don't know if people know that, but he was obviously great on the Rams and great on the Steelers. I, was, I think he had a ten sack season on the Carolina Panthers as well, if I remember correctly, uh, Kevin Green was one of the best pass rushers ever. I think he had like a hundred and sixty career sacks or something like that, like he was a dynamic pass rusher. Greg Lloyd was super interesting because he was very he was ahead of his time a little bit, man like he could play inside, he could rush off the edge, he could blitz interior. he was a really talented player, so if that ends up happening, cool, <laughs> sounds great. I mean, you're talking about a few, a Hall of Famer, Kevin Green, and a Pro Bowl-level player during his time in Greg Lloyd as well. So that was a dynamic team. That was a dynamic duo. Throwing, uh, I think LeVon Kirkland was on that team as well, if I remember correctly. I had a funny conversation with someone that played with LeVon Kirkland, by the way, recently, who was apparently one year he went into uh, – Apparently, one year he went into training camp with the Eagles, and he weighed 295 pounds as an inside linebacker. And obviously, they needed him to cut a little bit of weights. But uh, yeah, that was a, was a that was a very good defense, very good. All right, so Kevin Green was one of my favorites. So I used to love Kevin Green growing up. He was a, he was a dude. He was a dude. I knew he was a. I think he was the Green Bay Packers outside linebacker coach, of Clay, Clay Matthews, at one point during his career. Yep. Rod Woodson was on that team. Yes. Rod Woodson was on that team. I think was Cornell Lake the other safety. I feel like Cornell Lake might have been the other safety. Yeah, that defense was Steelers always I mean the Steelers had that run for a long time. I mean, people talk about the Steel Curtain, but like the nineties Steelers were pretty dang good themselves, right? The the two thousands with the Troy Polamalu and Ike Taylor and and Aaron Smith and Emo von Olahofen. Like they were, they were some really, really good teams. Very good teams. Good defenses, I should say. We had Andrew Gilmore says recruiting defensive end and linebacker with Notre Dame's defense is complicated. They mostly play two linebackers and don't. The defensive ends had to stand up much like an outside linebacker in a 3 4. So in their 4 2 5 base alignment, Andrew, the Viper can be out of a two point stance. It functions more. It, it's a four-two-five, but there are some there is some functionality of a three-four mixed in there. The boundary end, which is the strong side defensive end, and uh, sorry, the field end, which is the strong side defensive end, is much more of a hand in the dirt type of player. The viper can be from a stand-up two-point stance; they can put their hand in the dirt at times. It's a versatile position, but that viper will also get dropped in the coverage at times, depending on the offensive structure that they're working against. So there's some functionality that's similar-ish to a three-four. It's different in responsibilities, but that Viper is a more of a stand-up kind of lighter-built guy, the strong-side defensive end or the field end or the strong-side end as well. And then yes, they do play usually two base linebackers. But the thing their name has done, and we've seen this with Jack Kaiser, is they'll play a decent amount of a four-three alignment in a four-two-five personnel, so that 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 Rover in the, in the system the overhang he is technically a linebacker but i do think that as it, we've moved more and more into how offense is st- structured now that that uh, that overhang is going to be more of a nickel and more of a, a safety builds more of a corner builds you're going to see more guys that are more defensive back driven into that position so yes but to your point yes it is a it's a unique structure and but it's kind of how college football is going i mean most teams are either 425 or 335 as of today, like that's because there's so, so much space now, right? It's so much space oriented, but great observation. T guns, we're moving closer to the end here. Ryan, there's been this great invention now for a while. They're called cups and glasses. They hold the liquid you're drinking. So you don't need to drink directly from the jug. Well, Tommy, thank you for that, that update. I didn't know cups were a thing. You sound like the guy on Twitter yesterday. that was telling me to watch your old film. Like, oh man, I completely really forgot about that. Um, I prefer though, this is my process of drinking iced tea and and I hope you can follow this, Tommy. I know, uh, forget it. I like to put the iced tea jug, the entire thing in the freezer and let it get a little bit icy and drink it right out because that's how I roll, sir. You know, like your cups, I have the option to drink iced tea however the heck I want friend. All right. So it's fresh out the freezer, got a little bit of ice and we're good to go. So I don't have to pour it into a cup, put ice cubes, and I never run out is the great thing, right? I never run out. Anytime I want iced tea, it's right there, right? I don't have to go refill a cup. I got my iced tea ready to go, my friend. Hope you're doing well, Tommy. Hope you're doing well. Appreciate the question. Appreciate you. All right. Yeah, man, people are reminiscing about some of the Steelers teams. Yep, Carnell Lake, Casey Hampton at Nose in the 2000s was – couldn't move the guy man like you just couldn't move the guy he gave you nothing as far as sack production but you could not could not move him could not move him at the point of attack same thing with uh i don't know if you all remember jamal williams that played with the chargers he was like the same build as well like you could not move that cat he was low lowly built to the ground sawed off but like you just could not move him at the point of attack it was good times Beefeater says, I heard, a Ryan, I heard a rumor that in the baby food section of Wawa, in addition to the packets of applesauce, peas, et cetera, Wawa now sells squeezable Scrapple for kids. Is this true? Obviously, beef is messing with me because I'm a New Jersey guy and Scrapple is like the breakfast meat of choice here in, in New Jersey. I will say this. No, that's not true. I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with that eventually because people are weird. I don't know if people know this, but they're strange. But Scrabble is also objectively not good. Well, actually, I should change that. Subjectively not good because I don't like it. I know other people like Scrapple. Scrabble's is kind of gross. For people that don't know Scrapple, it's just, I mean, it's basically every part of the animal thrown into a block of meat. And it is disgusting. It is absolutely gross. I'm more of a breakfast sausage bacon guy. I'm, I'm not even really a pork roll guy down here. or Taylor ham, as some people call it. But Sausage bacon is my my preference. I am not at all a scrapple guy. Not my not my flavor, not my choice. Not my choice. <laughs> you aren't wrong, man. You're not wrong. Beefeter, you're not wrong at all. Yep. Yep, scrapple stinks. It stinks. Lucky Ducks had a super chat. Lucky Ducks, I'm so sorry. I just I missed this one. It just popped in. My apologies. Lucky ducks five, one, two, the super chat. Thank you so much. My friend, which two guys out of no Mikhail, Nathaniel, Lucy, Botang, and Marco Jones would you like to have? And why are any of them better suited to play together? Man, don't ask me this question. My friend, I would take two out of any of the three, to be honest, it's a slight cop out, but it's honest. It's actually honest as well. I would, if you gave me no mikhail and Nathaniel, Lucy, Botang. Or Nathaniel Wuotang and Marco Jones, or Noah McHale and Marco Jones, I would be ecstatic. Who are? How would I rank those? I think is the better question. I would go, and this is like, this is v- being very picky. I would go Nathaniel Wuotang one, Marco Jones two, Noah McHale three. But that being said, all three of those guys are top fifty players in my opinion. All three of them, they are studs. So I would take two out of the three, and I would. Go home and be very happy. So, yeah, I don't have a preference there, man. That is an incredible group. That is an a elite group, a group. I think that, uh, yeah, I'm that's big time. So two out of three. Doesn't matter. Thank you for the super chat again, Lucky Ducks. Appreciate you, man. Brandon Pleasant there. Besides the size profile, what differences do you see between Ethan Long and Kenner, Kennedy Erlacher? Well, I can't excuse the size profile, Brandon, because I think that's the biggest difference in the game. I think Ethan Long's a Ranger player, and I think it's partly because he's taller, longer legs, and just has a little bit more ability to cover grounds. Like, I just think that he's a better, a Ranger athlete, I should say. Now, Kennedy is a more of a downhill hitter, striker than Ethan but I think Ethan doesn't miss tackles really because he has length and he has good athleticism. And I think he has a little bit of looser hips to be able to play in some man to man in the slot. I, I like Ethan a lot more than Kenny is a player, to be honest. I mean, Kenny's a great kid. I really hope he's really good at Notre Dame, but he's shorter. I think he has less range and I, I just think he has less athletic upside than, than Ethan long. I, I, i really liked Ethan long a lot, man. Like I, I think that kid's a really good player. He's going to get overshadowed because Ivan Taylor's a stud. And if you get Jadon Blair in the class and it's like, he's safety three in the class, but that safety three would have been safety. Would have been safety two, at least in 2024, at least in a four man class. Like it, I like Ethan Long a lot. I really do. All right. We had a question from James Ingalls who said, where does Kahana Kia project at defensive end? Well, he's listed as a defensive lineman on the roster, James. So it appears that he is being um, at least starting out, he's going to be playing Viper for Notre Dame. So I actually didn't see him really as a freshman because um, he just played special teams. I know Brian said that he looked pretty good in practices playing some edge or whatever at times. I, I I I don't know enough about Kahanu as a football player to make that distinction. I remember his film a little bit coming out of Hawaii, but not enough for me to just seriously give you guys like deep analysis on it. But He is starting out as a viper for what it's worth, so that appears that that is the spot. He's going to be a defensive end viper in this system. Oh man, now we're talking sauce. Hey man, I don't care though, sausage is delicious and scrapple is nuts. So there's the uh, yeah, it's a big, big distinction there, man. Big distinction. All right, let's go to 99 Props BK1 says if Nerdame landed both Dallas Gold and Mark Zachary, is there any risk that Creed Thomas D commits? If not, then if Devin Williams also committed. Would there be any risk in your mind? Four corners in one class is a lot. Four corners is a lot. If you landed Dallas Gold and Mark Zachary in the class, no, I don't think there's any risk. Literally, Cree Thomas is recruiting both those cats. Like he is in contact with them. Notre Dame has been very honest about wanting to take three corners at least in this class. I've been very honest about that. So I don't think there's any threat there. If you get the four, always a possibility. But I also don't think so. I don't think so because I think the way that Notre Dame can paint this is you're taking three outside corners, but Cree also knows that he can play safety. You know, he can play around all all around the field a little bit, and I think you can paint it as Devin Williams is a nickel on next level, so everything can fit well together. I think how you paint it is more important than the actuality of the situation. So I think Notre Dame has a chance at all three of those guys on the board. Is it likely that you land all three outside of Cree? Probably not, but I think if you land two out of three, you're in a very good situation, and yes, if they landed the other, if they landed Dallas Golden and Mark Zachary in a shorter amount of time, I believe they will continue to push for Devin Williams. I do, but I agree with you in the simple fact that four corners, one class is tough. But I don't think it will cause Cree Thomas to second guess his decision because he's a player that can play outside, can also play at safety. He can move around a little bit, which helps his case to get on the field in different situations. We had a question from Andy Milton fan. What's up, Nathan? Does Notre Dame see Marco Jones? Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I need to Uh, need to get this question in the chat here. Sorry. Uh, Nathan's question. Does Notre Dame see Marco Jones as a Viper type or a true Mike? They see him as an inside linebacker. The conversation about Viper has been more about Marco actually talking about it as far as like his body continuing to develop. Ultimately, though, I think Notre Dame would take Marco regardless and let the position figure itself out, Nathan. But I have only heard. From sourcing closer to Notre Dame, that linebacker is where they like Marco Jones. Even with the taller frame he has, with the length he has, I think they still like him as a second level defender. That can also be an attack style player. You know, blitz him through through A, B gap, blitz him off the edge at times. I think that he could be kind of a multi dimensional second level defender. So linebacker is where they see him. We had Lucky Ducks with a very important question Ryan, are you a. Links or patties guy. I am a sausage link guy. I'm not against patties, but I just, I, I don't know. I guess it's a texture thing a little bit. I feel like there's a little bit more of a snap to a link compared to a patty. If that makes sense, I'm a big texture guy. I'm not against patties though, for like a, a breakfast sandwich. I'm much more, I'm much more pro patty for a breakfast sandwich. But if you're telling me I just have eggs, toast, sausage, I'm going to go links just by itself but patties for breakfast sandwiches, patties for breakfast sandwiches. The most important question has been asked today, by the way, Lucky Ducks. Thank you, sir. You are a man of the people. Thank you very much. And the last question, unless something comes in late here, maybe a super chat, wink, wink, wink. Patrick Earwood, thoughts on Bear Bachmeyer going to Stanford? Well, Bear Bachmeyer, 2025 quarterback out of the state of California. I So Notre Dame obviously was on him for a while. They liked him a ton. If if Deuce Knight did not end up in the class, I think Notre Dame would have been very, very happy with Bear Bachmeyer in the 2025 class. He picked Stanford. And honestly, I Alabama was after him. Oregon was after him. A lot of good schools were after Bear, man. I, I liked Bear a lot. I think that that's a top 100 quarterback in the class. I, I really do like Bear Bachmeyer. And at Stanford, obviously, there's the easy tie of his brother plays there, Tyra Bachmeyer. I will say this. It's where he feels comfortable. It's where his family is. California kid. Also, but more than anything, actually. What a huge, what a, just a huge get for Stanford, man. I know they got Elijah Brown in the 2024 class. who's a good player out of modern day. But they just got a a much different, more dynamic player. And Bear Bachmeyer, a guy that can run the football, a guy that can throw. He's a true dual threat. And I think that Bear is going to do really well for Stanford. So, uh, yeah, man, I like it. I like it a lot. Good Good for Stanford, and Bear's a great kid. So I'm happy for Bear as well. I did have one question popped in from Andy Melton fan. How do Nickels fare in the NFL drafts? I'm am in my my view, little viewing, it seems true Nickels are less likely to get picked versus other safeties, i.e. Tariq Bracy. So, typically Nathan historically or not not super historically, but over the last X amount of years, 10 years maybe, Nickels have gotten devalued in the NFL draft. You usually get some starting Nickels on day 3, some in the priority free agency range. They don't typically get to go um to get drafted high. If that is just an ex- one exclusive role you can play. The exception is, is if you are Devin Witherspoon, Denzel Ward, that yes, they can play inside, but also they can play outside as well. I think you need a little bit of versatility to be drafted high in that role on the next level. If you're just a true nickel, you tend to drop down the board a little bit because you have to think about it this way. NFL teams are always trying to find value and they're always trying to find ability to to save roster spots at times, a nickel that can only play in the slot is less valuable than a nickel that can also play outside at times, or maybe play a little bit of safety. That versatility is a big thing. That is a huge sell for defensive backs on the next level without it. You can still be good, but with it, you make yourself a whole lot more valuable. So hope that answers the questions True nickels drop nickels. That can also play multiple spots. That's kind of where the value comes. So we're going to end it there, folks. Again, want to thank you so much for joining me today. A little bit of recruiting talk. Talked about the 2025 class. Also talked about CJ May decommitment in the 2025 class for Notre Dame. Talked about defensive recruiting more than anything. We hit a mailbag at the end. So before you go, if you could please just do me a solid. Do me a solid on this wonderful Monday afternoon. Hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you hit that notification bell at the bottom of the screen. If you're listening to me on YouTube, five-star reviews are very much appreciated on any and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you also sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We'll have a lot more great conversation for you th- this week, folks. The mailbag, the Monday um, all free-for-all mailbag will also now be on Friday. I should have mentioned that in the beginning of the podcast, but make sure you subscribe to everywhere So that doesn't take you off guard. So Ryan Roberts, Director of Recruiting here at IrishBreakdown.com. Thank you so much again for joining me today on the Notre Dame Recruiting Hour here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.